Hello, welcome to the GXM podcast. We explore news and topics around video game music and the intersection between the games and music industries. We aim to publish fortnightly, so please be sure to subscribe. My name's Tom Quilfelt. I work for game soundtrack label Laced Records, and I podcast with the Kane and Rince crew. Joining me is Matt Ombler, who, as a journalist, has interviewed game composers, music artists and others for titles including Enemy, The Washington Post and Wired. And he now works for Laced Records as head of music and game partnerships. Matt, what does a head of music and game partnerships do? Basically all of the stuff I've been writing about, (laughs) which is kind of what inspired the move. So every time I was interviewing someone like an artist about doing a cool thing in a video game whether it's like a music collaboration with a game company or some remix album or whatever else I've always kind of thought you know what I wish I could do that and I wish this would happen or that would happen and now I get to be the person coming up with those ideas and hopefully doing some really cool stuff for our clients and for artists that are genuinely into video games so exciting times Indeed. And have you been playing anything lately with an ear to the music or or listening to something specific? I have been listening to the Bomb Rush Cyberfunk soundtrack on repeat, which is probably one of the best licensed soundtracks I've listened to in literally years. Have you heard it yet? I haven't, no. It's not my home base genre-wise, but I will get to it. So... Bomb Rush Cyberfunk, for people who aren't aware of it, is essentially the spiritual successor to the Jet Set games. And this game, it's got original music as well, but it's got loads of licensed music. Basically just like future garage, funk, hip-hop stuff. And they've got artists who are kind of part of the remix scene who have actually messed around with music in Jet Set to be part of the soundtrack. Um, Notably, a guy called Tumela, who has a couple of songs in the game. But honestly, check out the full soundtrack on YouTube. It's absolutely amazing. Um, One of my favourite songs on there is called Watch Your Back by a guy called Wava, UK DJ, which also has loads of samples of video game music, which I like. Nice. What about you? What have you been playing and listening to? Uh, well, I'm finding it very hard to get any sort of solo gaming time, but that's okay because I play puzzle games with my wife. I play adventure games and all sorts with my kids, uh, including SteamWorld Dig 2 we just fired up, and um, The Ascent with uh, my co-op mate, which is a cyberpunk kind of it's always like Diablo essentially but cyberpunk so just loot and going into areas and just sort of just mowing down waves of dudes but it has a very solid um cyberpunk synth wavy soundtrack it I wouldn't say it so far it does anything novel in that genre but it does it very very solidly and um really puts you in the in the place so so yeah that's been good and carrying on with the divinity original sin 2 with my nephew and that's got a wonderful soundtrack by borislav slevov who is also the Baldur's gate 3 composer and people have been waxing lyrical about that soundtrack as well so yeah Definitely go back and check out Divinity Original Sin 2. Wonderful game, wonderful soundtrack. So yeah, it's all about co-op for me at the moment or playing playing with other people. Best way to play. Yeah, well, I started God of War Ragnarok in November last year and I still haven't finished it. 
in that time, to be fair, I have beaten Persona 5 Royal and Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, which are both, you know, 100 hour plus games. So it must just be something about about God of War. Let's get to the news, shall we? So this one is an interesting one. We've talked a lot of sugar about the possibility of what Epic could do with music having bought previously Bandcamp and Harmonix, among other companies. But unfortunately, the tide is coming back for for a lot of different companies with layoffs and sell-offs and that kind of thing in the games industry and um, in other areas in the music industry as well. So Epic has, amongst the other news, including a layoff of 900 people. Um, so I very much feel for those people. I hope they land on their feet. But uh, Epic has also sold Bandcamp to a B2B music licensing company called Song Trader. Bandcamp apparently, or in the in the press release, it says it's it's used by over five million artists and labels. It's a big hub, I would say. It's the main hub apart from Steam for indie uh, soundtrack releases. It's a sort of tentpole place. You know, it's the place you get up first uh, alongside Steam, depending on kind of what size of company you you are or what you're going for basically with your your soundtrack release epic is exploring ways to partner with song trader to build an inventory of music and will continue to collaborate with bandcamp on projects like fortnite radio but it's it does, it's just not a good look you know any company getting sold twice in 18 months but then the you know the the economy has turned and a lot of very companies that made a lot of acquisitions are now selling stuff off so it's not the most surprising thing and it's not completely out of the blue in terms of the economic context but it probably has a lot of people worried what do you reckon Matt do we think that Epic's probably not going to have quite so ambitious music plans after all I've read a couple of different things on this couple of people made some very good points on the acquisition being more about Epic wanting to look about fairness and look, we support independence and basically use the acquisition as leverage in the case against Apple. Now that that case is kind of concluding, just to give some context as well, the case against Apple, that is um, Epic Games suing Apple um, over disputes of uh, payments um, from the Apple Store, from which Fortnite was sold. If you sell games on iOS, Apple takes a 30% cut of any game purchases. Um, so that is what the dispute was over. I think the only disappointing thing is, I, I think for one, I don't think Bandcamp is in any trouble. I think it just looks really bad, like you said. I think the way it operates will carry on as usual because I think they've got such a good thing going. I think anyone who would come and try and disrupt that, that would be almost commercial suicide. What I can see happening, and I guess this would support song traders' revenue models as well and how they kind of monetize music, is I could maybe see there being an opt-in subscription kind of thing where maybe for if you're a Bandcamp artist and you pay a monthly fee that will then let Epic access your music or maybe developers 
using Unreal Engine to build experiences in Fortnite's creator mode because looking back to when we were both talking about this last time, I think we were both excited by the idea of Bandcamp music being incorporated into Fortnite's Unreal Creator mode. And essentially, if you're developing experiences on Fortnite in there as an independent developer, you've then kind of got an inventory of licensed music to choose from. It sounds like this is still going to happen, I think, as you kind of quote in our notes, the press release notes that Epic is exploring ways to partner with SongTrader to, quote, build an inventory of music where artists can opt in to have their music licensed for use in Epic's ecosystem. But hopefully we'll see something cool come from this. I think it's a little disappointing that after, what, nearly two years, all we've really got to show from this is Fortnite had some cool independent radio stations, and that's about it. I've not seen much in Rocket League. I've not seen much in other Fortnite experiences. So, yeah, hopefully we'll see some good come from this. But like you were said, it's just a really weird look to see a company as large as Bandcamp that does so many things for amazing independent artists to be kind of passed around twice in 18 months or whatever it is. Mm. But the context matters, as you've uh, you've brilliantly explained there. So uh, what's going on with Hatsune Miku and Pokemon? Project Hatsune Miku is a game that quite a lot of people have probably never heard of, but it is one of Sega's biggest games it's a rhythm game it is absolutely massive in japan it pretty much contributes the bulk of all sega's revenues on mobile and they are hosting a month-long collaboration with the pokemon company so far we've seen loads of collaborative illustrations go into the game and online channels and stuff like that but they are also putting out 18 new songs the first of which is now available to listen to online and to be fair it's an absolute banger it's class <laughs> Created by a Vocaloid music producer called Deka27, whose YouTube channel has over 1.58 million subscribers. Um, it's basically all the music that was playing when I was in Japan. Just that really intense, hyper, like, overload, just an assault <laughs> on, like, the senses. Just some really intense, like, Japanese music. But it's it's absolutely class. It's really good. And then after the last run of BBC Radio 3's excellent Sound of Gaming finished, there is a new season on the way with a new host, I believe. What's that? Yeah, so uh, L or Silly Wood is the new host of Sound of Gaming. Um, it's a natural fit in that she is known for being a presenter in video games. I've seen her present all sorts of things at BAFTA. She won the BAFTA breakthrough in TV. I think she's uh, as much a you know TV presenter as she is a radio presenter. She uh, knows the space very, very well. So Sound of Gaming has had a string of wonderful hosts, including Jessica Curry, 
And then Louise Blaine, who herself has now got a new position. Very exciting for her. So, yeah, congratulations to Elle. You can tune in at 3pm on Saturdays on Radio 3 if you're in the UK. I think the first show is on October 7th. I think this comes out just after that, so you can probably catch up on BBC Sounds. Again, I don't know what the situation is for people outside the UK in terms of access to Radio 3 content, but I'm sure you will see a link around and possibly give it a try. VPN, VPN, VPN. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Matt, what's this? uh, This looks terrifying. Horror-themed video game concert coming to London. What's that about? 11th of November. So this is courtesy of a news release from the lovely people at the London Video Game Orchestra, which, hint, hint, clue is in the name, is an orchestra ensemble from London in the UK specialising in performances of video game music. On the 11th of November, they are playing a horror-themed concert at Woolwich Works. It will feature music from Dead Space, Resident Evil, Undertale, Bioshock and many more. If you want to attend, which you absolutely should, if you're based down south, you can pick up tickets from the London Video Game Orchestra website, and we will also put a link in the description for this episode. Do you know who I feel sorry for? Who? Violinists. (laughs) During that concert. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's going to be, yeah, that is going to be tough. I thought you were going to say Rich then, just in terms of another video game concert. He's got to dig into the wallet for because you know he's going to be there. He, he will be there. He will be there. I don't know if I will be there, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I've spent a lot <laughs> on, different, on different concerts. Um, the last thing we've got, what's happening with League of Legends? More K-pop in video game music, this time courtesy of the K-pop group New Jeans who have been announced as this year's League of Legends World Championship Band. For those of you who are not familiar with League of Legends World Championship, it is an esports tournament for League of Legends, um, but the tournament kicks off every year with an anthem normally put together by major names in music. Previous Worlds artists have included Little Nas X, Jeremy McKinnon, who is the vocalist from A Day to Remember, um, DJ Z, Imagine Dragons, and the one and only Sting, which <laughs> surprised me. But yeah, K-pop group New Jeans' new single, Gods, will be released on October 4th, so it will be live by the time you are listening to this. So do yourselves a favour, head over to YouTube, check out the song. I am sure, like all previous world songs it is going to be an absolute banger just remind me where does this fit in with the whole kda band is that wrapped up now that kind of virtual band or is it just on hiatus they kind of act like a band so i guess this is right essentially in-house band for league of legends comprising league of legends characters i guess it's dependent on when they have new music out right because as a virtual band even the they're put together by real artists they don't go out and tour so unless there's new music i.e a new album out they don't really get that much attention and the mastermind of kda toa dunn who was head of music at Riot Games. He's no longer with the company, so I wonder if also with him going on to do his own things and kind of being the brainchild of that, I wonder if he was the one 
pushing for a lot of new projects and stuff like that. But we'll we'll have to wait and see. I don't think it'll be the last of them because KDA are absolutely massive. Mm. I think it'll just be a case of when they put new music out, they'll be around. I won't I won't be surprised to see them do a world's championship song maybe in twenty four twenty five. Mm. So, or maybe at least do a collaboration with an artist as part of it. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. We're going to move on to our topic now. Matt, why don't you take us away and tell me a bit about your interviewee? This really surprised me when I heard about this project. Dan Tompkins is the vocalist of the progressive metal band Tesseract, um, who I've probably been listening to for the past 10 years of my life. One of the biggest, if not the biggest names in contemporary prog metal right now. During lockdown... Dan did what a lot of us did, where he started playing video games. He also got into streaming games. And then eventually he thought, hmm, why don't I just make my own game? As someone who got bored of the traditional band album release cycle, Dan wanted to do something differently, decided to build an entire video game slash metaverse experience to support the release of their latest album, War of Being. So it's not exactly a full video game. Um, The game is on early access on Steam at the moment. Dan has launched a crowdfund project to fund the development of the full game. But as of now, you can go in, you can download the early access. It's kind of like a narrative adventure puzzle game where you collect music stems and solve the mystery of the album's concept. I won't give too much away because Dan dives into that in full, but it is a really, really interesting way of experiencing Tesseract's music and interacting with it. And to be honest, it's just cool to see someone do something different with music, you know, and just kind of go, well, We've done all of these other things for previous albums. Why don't we do something different? Why don't we turn the concept for our album into a playable video game where fans can collect music and interact with each other? Dan is a very passionate gamer as well. Sight series such as Resident Evil and Silent Hill has been some of his favourite. Really enjoyed this chat with him, and I'm sure you all will too. So Matt's discussion with Dan uh, ended up with a bit of a uh, mic malfunction in the first interview they did. We were very lucky that we could get Dan back for a second chat. So some of the way we've edited the following interview will use sections of both those chats. So if things sound like, you know, the mic changes a little bit or, or you know, tone of voice changes a little bit, that's why. But thanks very much to Dan and to Matt for um, having a second go at it. I thought it was really, really interesting. It's like I'm bleeding through. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we dive into War of Being, can you just start 
by telling us how long you've been playing video games for and how important they've kind of been, I guess from like a creative and like an artistic perspective as well. Yeah, ever since I was uh, probably about six years old, I had a Sega Master System. I remember the very first games that I ever played on that was um, Bank Panic. This weird game where you had three doors and you had to like press left and A and B to shoot at each door and you had to shoot these cowboys. Bomber Raid, Sonic the Hedgehog, all these like original, you know, titles in, in for Sega. I was just sold on it as a kid, loved it to bits. And then I went through all the, uh, you know, the console generations and ultimately landed on the PC Master Race. <laughs> So, yeah, I've been gaming all my life. Um, it was always a, a big deal for me as a kid. That that was my passion. Loved it to bits. Found a lot of release in it. Bizarrely, when I was about eight, I used to listen to a lot of 80s music. And I remember falling asleep, dreaming that one day I'd write music and I'd also make a computer game. So 35 years on, I've made it possible. So it's fair to say this coincides with your new album as well, which also shares the same name, War of Being. Yeah. For anyone who's not heard of this, can you just explain what this concept is? Because, I mean, you've essentially developed a playable concept album, but I believe the idea of this is for it to kind of evolve as a metaverse platform, be somewhere where fans can hang out, listen to new tracks and all of that stuff. So... What was the reason behind starting it? And how, how would you describe it? Like, what's your kind of sell when you talk to people about it and explain it? It's a bit of a long-winded, wild story, but I'll, I'll keep it concise. I began live streaming pre-COVID, whatever year that was, and very quickly my community saw that I was live streaming Resident Evil 2 Remake on, on YouTube, actually. Just did it for a laugh. I didn't even have a camera. And all of a sudden people were saying, oh, you got a live stream? And I had someone reach out and say, oh, I can help you build a Twitch channel. And then I began to get involved. I bought a VR headset. And the first time I popped a VR headset on, I was literally blown away. Immediately, I could see that not many people were using it. And I saying to myself, one day in the near future, this is going to be huge. Like, this is going to be, become a part of people's everyday lives. So I've always kind of had my eye on that. And because I was streaming VR quite a lot and actually singing in VR, doing singing streams in VR, which is quite interesting, um, I had a guy reach out to me who ultimately became a moderator on my channel. He's a programmer and coder. And he was like, you know what? We could probably recreate your studio in VR. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, we can use a program called Unity and, you know, just take all these photos and I'll, I'll make all the different assets. And he basically did that. And together we went through the process of like duplicating the studio. And we, we were actually going to upload it to um, VR chat. I think that was the idea, but that never happened. And then very quickly, we spoke about the possibility of making this into a much bigger thing and developing a Tesseract metaverse. And so we began to build a big lounge area uh, in Unity. And it had all the things you can imagine a band might have in a, in a VR meta space, but it was like a, a merch area, a bar, there's some games you can play, pool table, there's a big pool outside, and it's just little pictures of all the albums everywhere and a nice place for people to gather. And um, we were going to go full steam with that and just do it in the background. But then, as we went into the studio to record the album and we built the concept for it, which is this visually stunning concept, which I can tell you all about in a minute, we, um, we decided, well, while we're doing this metaverse, and I always had this amazing idea of, like, when you play Mortal Kombat, right, and then you can look at all the characters 
and you can spin them around and go in and see all the detail in them. I was like, what if we were to create a room or some kind of experience where you could just look at each character from the concept and listen to the album, for, you know, each song that represents each character. And I was also really blown away by like, you know, all these different worlds you can go in VR. Well, let's go, let's go one step bigger. Let's create a panoramic, awesome view where you can just you know, sit down and listen to the music in this awesome atmosphere. And slowly, it turned into the idea of making an actual full computer game in Unreal Engine 5. And we just, I know that sounds like a, it's such a drastic <laughs> step. But myself, um, Adam Boyd, who's the coder and developer, and Kirsty Harvey, who's the 3D designer, they both wanted to get into the gaming industry. And um, they hadn't got any real big projects under their belt. So we started to develop it as a passion project. And if you, if you would have seen the images from like the first time, we you know, we went into, v, into Unreal Engine 5 and started to build all these like very basic landscapes to where it is now, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe that three people had done that and got it to where we are. So that's where the idea came from. And uh, it involves the concept of the album, which essentially revolves around, this is, again, the concept of the album is vast, but it revolves around the idea of the war of being Instead of the previous album, Sonda was all about looking at other people and seeing how interesting their lives are and realising other people have lives. Because you live in your own shell and you get very secluded in your own mind. So we decided for this concept, let's turn the camera around, face it on, on the individual and ask the question, who are we? What are we made of? What do we stand for? Who are we? Do we even know who we are? You know, what, what's, what's the meaning of all of this? You know, how, how big are our egos that might stop us from being our true selves? And that's what the idea revolves around, but it's got it's this, this um, amazing fantasy sci-fi element to it where you've got two characters that experience a tragedy in life. And then through that tragedy, they're thrown into this incredible sci-fi fantasy world where parts of themselves, parts of their ego manifest from the dark waters that exist in this whole world. And then they have all this incredibly in-depth story that spans out from this. So that's probably another podcast. But um, <laughs> in essence... It went from being this little crazy idea of building a VR replica of my studio to becoming yeah. this full game. And also, another thing is it's, it's not just a VR experience because we realise that VR is still a budding industry and not everyone can mm. afford it. Not, not everyone has it for a number of different reasons. So we created a desktop version side by side. So we've had a real task on our hands and it's been a, a mind-blowing journey. It sounds like a massive journey. And I think mm. I was reading through the um, PC Games Network piece earlier and the writer who did the write-up, a woman called Sherry Faulkner, she was saying in her 13 years of music journalism, she's never covered a band that have launched an album this way. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's completely unheard of. Sure, there are plenty of music video games out there, and there are plenty of interesting examples of those two worlds crossing over, but I think an artist essentially just going, you know what, I'm just going to dedicate pretty much all <laughs> the time I've got and build this experience. Yeah, like, yeah. How was it? explaining this to your bandmates and your label and management, was this something where you had to get their buy-in or was it a case if they trusted you with it and just let you go with it? Like, how, how was that entire process? <laughs> Initially, I think there were a lot of uncertainty. Like, you know, Dan, do you really realise, like, the amount of effort that goes into this stuff? Like, it is a vast, difficult world where you have... That's why you have development teams. I've got hundreds of people working on one title at a time. I understood that. But at the same time, I had a very simple concept to begin with. And I thought we could probably pull this off. And so we kind of dropped everything, myself, Adam and Kirsty. And just to, put, just to paint a picture, like I've lost a year's wage doing this. Like genuinely, mm -hmm. I've gone through all my savings just to make it happen. 
every day for over a year in Discord, learning Unreal Engine 5, talking about the ideas, developing the concept. And it has grown side by side the album, believe it or not, because it was a budding idea at the same time the, the ideas for the album started. So yeah. it's grown and reshaped itself. But yeah, there was a lot of um, uncertainty. But as the months went by and the more I started to show everybody and they, they could see the possibilities of what this could become. And because I was so keen on the idea of breaking free of the grasps of the model of releasing music in the industry, which is, you know, you make a music video, you go and tour it, that's how it works. I knew that there was only one other artist that I'd seen that had created a VR experience that coincided with music, and that's Bjork. That's like a 360 VR experience where she's walking through mm. Iceland and you can listen to her sing and watch her sing. But no one else has done that. And because we've got like a full concept, I was like, what if we were to release the music through the video game instead of doing a music video? How interesting mm. is that? To me, that's mega interesting. And it's all, it also put, it puts you in a position where very few other people have ever been or attempted to be. Unless you're obviously a huge artist with a massive budget that you can you know, go to a development team and say, we want this to happen. We weren't in that position. I feel like if you haven't got that backing, you've got to do it yourself unless you've got some very, very keen people that are willing to drop their life for a year or two to make it happen, mm. which is nigh, nigh on impossible. What, what are the benefits of doing it this way then? You've also got your own Twitch channel as well, mm. where you stream games and do your mm. singing. Like, have you seen a correlation between subscriber numbers and then maybe the new album coming out? I think it's still to, to really become present, if that makes sense. Mm. It's still a very new yeah. idea and we're still to reach many more people. But since its release, I mean, we've sold probably just under 2,000 early access copies of the game. And primarily they are from fans. But the mm. thing is, is that a lot of metal and progressive rock fans play computer games. But you've only got to look at Doom and listen to the metal soundtrack in that and understand that there's a massive audience there for that. And so I was like, well, we've created a metal album and I know that metal fans like to play computer games. So I reckon we're onto yeah. an idea here. Have you noticed like comments from fans or have you had like messages or whatever else like oh it's cool you're into games or tons. yeah what are your favorite absolutely game? Yeah, tons yeah. and we've also had people falling into our discord channel that haven't even heard the band now they're just picking mm. up on a new game on steam and they're reaching over because i think it's a nice idea it's a good idea never seen a band do this before it's cool uh but, but like a lot of my twitch following and discord following are just really behind it a mm. lot and also, I think it, it's a new way, you, you're almost creating a new way of consuming music, you know, to be able to, if you can create such a visually stunning concept to coincide with an album, and you bring it to life in a video game, it's just another level of immersion for me. Is the full album in the game then, as it stands? The, the early access version is, like, so... Where is it now, yeah? So the early access version is essentially a proof of concept, um, mm. and we did rush it through quite hard to coincide with the release of Tesseract's second single. So what you get in the early access is a glimpse of what's to come. You've got six different maps, but you also get introduced to the characters and learn bits of the lore. And what you do is you find and unlock um, hidden crates, which each have a stem of the song. When you get to the end of the game, you build the full song and you listen to it in its entirety. But it's only the one song at the minute. However, the full game, which we hope to release at the end of 24, beginning 25, that's going to incorporate the whole album as well as like a really fleshed out concept, a deep narrative, elements of um, combat in the gameplay, three times as many maps with a lot more co complexity to the player's journey in it all, as you can expect from a title, from a decent title. That's what we're aiming to achieve. We want it to be a standalone game that people just adore and want to get behind as well as being a, you know, tied into the band.
now that you've learned all of this stuff, is the part of you kind of going, you know, you've been a lifelong gamer, you're now kind of going, oh God, but maybe I'd like to be a developer. I mean, you are a developer, not maybe you'd like yeah, to be like, you I, are literally, you're a yeah, game no, developer really, now. Like, how, right. how does that feel? I mean, I'm learning, I'm learning things all the time. We've just migrated the whole project over to Unreal 5.3. And even now, yeah. like the way that it's improving the performance in the game and the things that you can do are really next mm. level. Do you think this is something you'll support for the foreseeable future. Yeah, yeah. this is going to last forever and we're going to promote it and keep developing it to a point where it's completely polished and finished. I mean, <laughs> to go through this process and have access to all these tools and know how to use them, um, I could see me continuing to do this with other projects as well mm. because, you know, people study a long time to do just one aspect of game development when I've dabbled mm. in lots of different things. I'm not an expert by any means, but when you're given the tools to do something, it seems a shame just to throw them away after one crack. So, How can this evolve then? Because is there potential within this project to start selling direct to fans? I know you can sell soundtracks via Steam. Is there an mm-hmm. option there to yeah. sell merchandise, even if it's digital merchandise? Like, Have you thought about how this can be monetized and how would that would work? Yeah, I've been thinking about it quite a lot, and there's so many different possibilities. I mean, in the short term, we will be releasing the album on Steam so people can download it there if they've never heard the the band before. But also the in-game soundtrack eventually will have its own release as well, which is fantastic. Moving forward, I mean, merchandise and stuff is is a granted. You know, we're already developing a lot of that through the Kickstarter campaign at the minute. Moving forward, if we were to do a metaverse, which we've already started to build, but we need to finish this first now because this has taken precedence. Mm. Um, Things like, you know, having an online space in virtual reality where people can actually look at your merchandise and take external links to go find it and buy it is one route. But also you think about how people have avatars for everything. Now you could potentially, you know, sell different upgrades and different clothings for your own avatar in Tesseract and build an online fan base that way. It's just a great way of bringing people together and having nice experiences and actually promote all the music and not just Tesseract music, but all the back catalog from every bit of everything we've ever created, even as individuals to bring the whole world together Mm. And show the bigger picture. There's a lot of possibilities. And I think to get some important background, when we talk about virtual merchandise or whatever else, the first thing that a lot of people think of is Roblox because people have merchandise on there and whatever else. And mm. we're seeing a push with more and more artists trying to digitize their merchandise. You mentioned a Kickstarter there, and stuff like this is important. And I think it's important we talk about this. I still feel there are lots of people out there who look at bands your size and see the venues that you're playing and see the size of the audiences that you're playing to and assume that guys like you live in huge mansions or whatever else and you've all got rock star money. Can you just explain how important a project like this is in terms of bringing additional revenue streams into the band and also you personally and some of the challenges that artists, touring artists and bands are up against in this landscape? I mean, things like this are a lifeline to bands. You have to remember that we, you know, a lot of metal bands at our level, you know, not signed to a major record label. You're on an independent label or some other subsidiary of a bigger label. Um, If you're lucky enough to be, you know, a band like, you know, Rammstein or a slipknot then you you know great brilliant but it, those opportunities are few and far between so we are very much a grassroots band so uh, yeah. we, our growth has always been slow steady and gradual to get to this point and we do travel the world 
Uh, we do play awesome shows. But at the end of it, we're still not financially secure. Um, I mean, there are so many people to pay, so many mouths to feed. And it seems to me that as you progress through your, your career, if you're lucky enough to get increased fees because you performed well on a previous tour and you've yeah. got good pre-saves on Spotify and pre-downloads of your album, um, they're good indicators to the agents and labels and managers to show, right, we've got, now got progression, we can negotiate bigger fees. But at the end of the day, when your fees go up, you have to, in, in order to progress as a band, you have to raise the level of the production. And that costs money. And then there are more people wanting a cut of that because you're, you're working with more people. I mean, let me put this into perspective. When you, when you see a big band that you like and you see them on stage, how many times do you see the band walk on stage before they actually play and set up yeah. gear and do all the tech? Like, big bands take out multiple crew, lighting engineers, monitor engineers, front house engineers, etc. Um, we, on our last few shows, um, we had uh, a tour manager and a front house engineer. And we set up all our own gear. We line check all our own gear. We do it all ourselves because we can't afford those extra bodies on a tour with us. Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to be in the red after every single tour. And then you couple that with the fact that when you're selling merchandise, you know, venues are taking such a big cut of it and even charging for putting a table on the floor for you to sell that merchandise. It's ludicrous because we make such little margin from merchandise. Some artists just can't afford to sell it. They're being put yeah. in a position where they can't afford to pay their, their merch guy, you know, because a lot of the wage for their, for their service is coming out of the merch sales itself. Um, and especially if you're a band that's a you know a medium level metal band, you know the fees you're going to be getting from a show aren't massive. It's a hard slog. So you find a lot of artists have side hustles all the time. It's prevalent in, I suppose, in my world, in 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 the progressive metal and gent world. You see people teaching or building coaching websites or you know building plugins or doing something revolving around sound production to make external yeah. revenue. And that kind of draws you away from the core of it, which is creating music mm. and actually excelling at what you do because you're so distracted by all these side hustles to survive i'm quite lucky in the last couple of years from streaming on twitch because that is a brilliant way of one staying and connect connected with your fan base and building a loyal fan base but two because i'm live streaming performances i'm singing every day so i'm staying on top of my game and building my game so i would say that i've advanced so much in the last five years purely based on the the support from the community. If it wasn't for that, I'd still be doing a million side hustles and never have the time to actually sing. Mm. So for me, I'm quite lucky in that respect. Right. Everybody who's been listening, do yourselves a favor. One, check out the new Tesseract album. Two, check out the War of Being early access demo on Steam. Also support the Kickstarter. Dan, we're going to end this on a lovely positive and I'm going to put you on the spot. Let's do a quick run through of everybody who's listening and wants to learn more about the games that you're into. Can you share your top three video games and tell us why and what makes them so special? Oh, no. The worst question to ask on the spot. I am so sorry. No. <laughs> so many. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm gonna get. I'm gonna flex a little bit, right? So All Doom right. Doom 2016. We've already spoke about it. Yeah, incredible. Um, yeah. I have. I've, I've got a world record on that. Well, not a world record, but it's like I'm in. I'm ranked top thirty in one of the arcade mode versions of Doom 2016 Ooh. on some of the levels. Yeah, and I played it so much. So, I mean, I love that game from start to finish as, like, it's so fast-paced and energetic and yeah. the music is so ferocious. It's just a brilliant first-person shooter. Nothing like it, in my opinion. So I, I'm going to have to say Doom 2016. But I, I do have to say, I can't, I'm so sorry, I can't pick one, but you just go to, like, Silent Hill, the series. I think, I'll tell you what, I will. I'll go there. Silent Hill 2 is probably the yeah. experience for me. I've got a lot of fond memories with that. Just the way that it makes you go into the story, how how freaky it is. All of all the, all the different um, monster designs are just fantastic and so out there. The first time you experience Pyramid Head in one of the hotels and you just... Crikey, it's just so, yeah. ho- so horrific. Uh, so psychological horror-wise, that was the first game that really sucked me yeah. in. I'm going to I'm going to go on a different I'm going to go on a tangent because there's a million different games that I could choose from right. Yeah. But I would say I was I was never really uh, a Dark Souls guy. Um I'd never really played from from software games, right? Yeah. Now the first software game I played was Sekiro Shadows Die yeah. Twice. That is one of the most brutal gaming experiences, <laughs> but just so rewarding and like visually stunning. Everything about it. I mean, I'm I'm, a, yeah. I'm big into Japanese artwork and uh, and yeah. Japan in, as a culture and as a country. I just I love it so much. I've toured there, so I had a bit of a soft spot for that. But Sekiro is if you can handle the punishment of dying mm. many many times, but then ultimately overcoming these bosses and feeling this the all the great satisfaction. Definitely play it. Wonderful game. Wonderful. I think you've got to be a certain individual to put to go through the game four times yeah. like like I have. <laughs> but I love <laughs> I love the punishment. I love it. I just I thrive on the uh on the competition and the and the uh the difficulty of it. I really like games like that. Mm. And I would say possibly up there is one of my favorite games. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. <laughs> possibly and until the Elden Ring DLC comes out like, I don't know what your backlog looks like but mine yeah it's insane horrible. I have to be very selective there's just too many have you played Resident Evil Village I have and go on well, I'll, I'll let you I'll let you test the ground what did you think okay 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 I oh, loved I'm it gonna... I loved it yeah. I love I loved the, the design and I loved how it went back to the original kind of feel of a Resident Evil game yeah. I thought the game kind of went off track after the lady dimitri i've probably butchered her last name that's a thing i do commonly dimitrescu Dim- dimitrescu that thank you <laughs> lady dimitrescu true resident <laughs> fan in the yeah. house there we go people yeah. um yeah i just felt that section of the game that whole mm. like in the mansion or in the house or whatever yeah. i thought that was great there was some really cool action segments that went too action heavy there was some really cool survival horror bits so the whole stuff with the doll yeah i was like oh my word this is and that just calls back to like silent hill and stuff but yeah i don't know i think compared to resi 7 which went back to not went back to resident evil's roots because obviously Resi 1 was still a completely different game to Resi 7, but I i don't know there was something resident evil 7 captured the magic of everything that I think made Resident Evil so special as a franchise, and then Village yeah. came out, and I was like, 
this is cool. I love the fact they've brought back a merchant kind of character because I think the merchant is one of the best things that happened to the series in Resident Evil yes. 4. So I love the fact that he was in the game. Love the upgrade system and stuff. I don't, I don't know. I finished it and was just kind of like... Do you know what? The, the funny thing is, one of the best parts of the Res games for me are the mercenaries. Oh, man. The music yeah. as well. The absolute yeah. trance bangers in the song called Rust in Summer 2008, which is in the Resident Evil 5 multiplayer mode. You yes. The multiplayer as well, because that was a separate thing. You had mercenaries and you had Resident Evil 5's multiplayer. I seshed that, like, online. Yeah, man. Did you play that? To- totally, yeah. Yeah, it was they? really, really good. I'm Let's... surprised I didn't say Res Four or Five as one of my favourites. To be honest, I feel I feel bad now. Never mind. You mentioned the VR. You know what? I think Resident Evil Four gets so much praise. I think it's just assumed that it doesn't need mentioning within top threes because it would just take a Fair spot, play. which it already like kindly has. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just there. It exists <laughs> within that. And, and I'm glad you mentioned the VR version because I think we've obviously had the Res Four remake, which is great. But I think in terms of all of the re-releases, in terms of different platforms that the original Resident Evil 4 was put out on, the Oculus version, to me, is like when people say Resident Evil 4 is the best game ever made, I now just go, have you played the Oculus version? Because that is just like, let's do, let's do a separate podcast in the future where it's just Daniel and Matt talk Resident Evil a deep dive. <laughs> we just need I love to do it. that. Dude, it has been an absolute pleasure. The game is available on Steam. Is, is there anywhere else you'd like to point people to people who are listening and want to learn more about this? We've actually got a, di- a Discord channel, which is, it's, we share it now with the Tesseract band, and it's also the War of Being game server. And that's already, this is great as well, right? So it's already bringing in new people into the world of Tesseract that never even knew us. We've had quite, quite a few people pop in and say, oh, I just saw the game on Steam. This is great. Never heard the band before, but I'm here to check it out. What a great way to cross-promote stuff, right? <laughs> but yeah, Discord. Uh, we don't have a dedicated URL for it, but you can search Tesseract Discord and you'll find it. Amazing. Right. Thank you so much, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Cheers. Thanks a lot, Matt. Okay, Matt, let's get to Done in 60 Seconds, where we take just a minute to recommend something passionately to each other and try and convince the other to give it a listen or check it out. Matt, you're up first, and it is no surprise to me to see that this is going to be something uh, Sonic-related. So uh, get your timer ready, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, and off you go. There is new DLC out for Sonic Frontiers, which means there are 46 new tracks out, which are all available to play on Spotify, Apple Music, all of that good stuff. The reason I want to talk about this DLC music is because similar vibes to the main Frontiers soundtrack, where there's a mix of heavy metal stuff, lo-fi, EDM, but... This music really stood out to me a bit more because it's a bit more ambient. There's some really cool jazzy lo-fi stuff, particularly in a track called Second Wind, which is really reminiscent of some New Jibir stuff that I used to listen to when I was at university. Um, So if you're into that whole lo-fi trip-hop vibe, you will definitely enjoy this. 
interesting. It's a lot busier than I from than I thought it would be from your description. I've just been calling music like chill and chilled for years to describe you know, music that is on the relaxing side of things. Is that just what lo-fi means these days? No, I, I mean to be fair, lo-fi is probably <laughs> having just re-listened to the track now. <laughs> lo-fi is probably the wrong way to describe it because you're right lo-fi you've got that filter effect going on it's a lot more stripped back but this is reminiscent of the kind of so there's a genre called trip hop which i used to listen to loads at uni uh one of my favorite bands was a guy called emancipator and that was just like these stripped back beats with these really nice instrumental packages normally violin acoustic guitar um so quite busy and it's got the driving beat there, but it's still chill. Do you know what I mean? Even the chill is kind of the opposite of busy, but... There's this quite busy, like, jazz piano solo I just caught in a, in a section mm. of that. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's quite, like, eclectic. Like, it starts off yeah. in a way you can imagine a modern rock band just having a section of a song be like that before it goes into something heavier. And it just never goes heavier, it gets busier. But it is a very it's a very interesting and, and game overall, like the soundtrack. I'm I'm unlikely to get to, to play it, but and it's not quite my my vibe. Um I guess I'm just more on the like, I don't know, Final Fantasy side of, of, of things in in terms of um Japanese originated video game music. But there's just there's something difficult to put your finger on about the whole of the Sonic Frontiers soundtrack. Something both eclectic and yet cohesive. It's it's very yeah. it's very odd. And then you've got Sega. I've got Sega. Banger for me, I believe. So on the Lace blog, we had another piece uh, sent in by Jerry Jerryaska, who uh, is is brilliant at getting hold of uh, Japanese video game composers who have done classic soundtracks of your. Um, he was talking to uh, Rio Arai about the Front Mission alternative soundtrack, but as part of the piece, it threw up this uh, track from Sega Touring Car Championship, the arcade game, I believe it's a Saturn game as well. Um, this track is called Sonic Drive by Rio Arai, and I just thought, I just listened to it for about a minute, oh, 30 seconds, I was like, this is amazing. This is absolutely brilliant 90s kind of um i don't know you're gonna have to tell me after my minute what genre this actually is like techno or trance or i'm not quite sure but uh, it's excellent you should check it out and uh, now matt's gonna tell me what genre subgenre of electronica this is It's really good, but it's hard. It's hard to pin it to a specific genre because it just does that typical Japanese video game composer thing where it blends elements from like three or four different dance genres. You know what I mean? Mm. So I guess you could call it techno, but it's nowhere near as dark what most people would consider techno. It's got this weird, almost like happy, hardcore European dance thing cheesiness going on but then it 
gets quite techno-y near the end. But I enjoyed that. Yeah. Like, you can definitely tell it's um, the same composer as Front Mission. Yeah. It's that same acid bass kind of thing going on. He says he has a signature genre, which he calls listening techno, which I guess, if I had to guess, we would call, is it intelligent dance music, like DMB, IDM? I guess. I'd I just say it's more cheesy techno. <laughs> like, just really happy techno. I mean, basically, the kind of music you'd hear in, like, what are those dance games? Do you know the arcade Dance Dance Revolution and stuff like that? Yeah. Kind of reminds me of stuff you'd get in those games. Um, which makes sense, because uh, it would have been from around that time. Uh, so, yeah. Mm. That's unfortunately all we have time for on the GXM podcast. Thank you so much for joining us as we explore the intersection between video games and music. Please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on your podcast service of choice, especially Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and threads at GXM Podcast. I'm at TQuelfel on Twitter. That's T-Q-I-L-L-F-E-L-D-T. Matt is at Matt Ombler on Twitter. That's Matt with only one T. If you've got any feedback, hit us up at gxmpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. The show was produced by both of us. It was edited by me. Music's by Zach Foster. And thank you again, Dan, for coming on the show. Yeah.